Well, good evening. The title of the message is called The First Five. The First Five. That is loud. Dave, can you turn it down? I'm like, thank you. There you go. The First Five. This is the first five. What is the first five, you might ask? (laughs) The first five times the word love is used in the Bible. I find that interesting. Before we go any farther, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for your grace and your love. We learn a lot about that today and how you show us through your word, the relational love and your love. We don't understand it, Lord, but we accept it freely. We're thankful that you give it to us. And we're thankful, so thankful for the transparency of the Bible things that we're going to be shown in the faults of men. As we all know, Lord, including me, the best of men are men at best. It's a humbling thing to to fall upon you and know that you are leading and guiding and providing and you're a good, good father. So we just thank you for this time. We pray that we would learn something and more importantly, apply it. Pray all this in Jesus' name. And the church said... So we understand the Bible and the New Testament have given us the real truth of love, right? It's called agape. You've heard this, correct? Yes, amen. We understand that the word agape is the, is the word generated by Christians. That word did not exist before Christians. Just to let you know, that word was not an existing word in the Bible until Jesus came, the word agape. That kind of love only comes from Jesus and can only be shared with those who call each other Christians. If you're non-Christian, you can't have agape. That doesn't work. There's, there's no coincidence. There's no, there's no formula for you to have a love of that without having, being a Christian. That's just the way God works. Agape is a Christian-centered love. Does that make sense? So we're going to develop that as we go forward. It's a love that never goes away. It's not an experiential love. Agape love is unconditional, unmerited, and we'll cover it at the end, but it's a perfect love. And it's a love that's given to us, not something we can earn. We are imperfect people, and also God allows us to have this gift. Amen? So let's change gears now. There's a biblical truth when you learn the Bible calls the law of first use. It is a truth that's given to us by how we apply the truth concepts as we understand the Bible. Everything that goes back to the Bible goes back to Genesis. And there's always a first use of it from salvation of Jesus to love to grace to anything that's ever done. It always goes back to Genesis. There's a biblical truth that shows us the truth. Back in Genesis, that's called the law of first use. You ever heard that before? The truth. It's a biblical truth. You learn it by studying. It's not a big deal, but it's something that we have to benchmark and measure as we walk in Christianity, that our truths aren't measured on anything we know. Our truths are measured on what God says and through his word. Amen. The first five times we're going to read this, and I found it just radically crazy how how this thing all works out. The first five times. But the first four times directly notes God's love as relational love, relational love, love between people. The fifth time, it talks about our love for him. And I find that very interesting because in the midst of these first four accounts, it's it's a train wreck. I mean, it is a train wreck and we're going to develop it. And it shows me how much God is so real and radical into changing people, into showing his truth in all of our lives. And it goes down. So let's go. The first, part, the first time the word love is, is mentioned, you guys know this, is Genesis 22.2. I think it's going to be on the, on the screen, yeah. 
He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I shall tell you. I don't know how to say the word. I'm going to say it's a hob. It's close, plus or minus. That's how you say it in Hebrew. But it's human love for one another includes family and sexual love. Human, it also covers the human appetite for objects such as food, drink, sleep, wisdom. So as we read that verse, let's go back and reread it again. If you put it up again, please. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I shall tell you. So let's talk about this, comparing this verse to Jesus. This is a very similar verse to Genesis 3.16. Do you guys, sorry, um, John 3.16. You guys see that? Both were loved by the father. Both offered themselves up willingly, the sons. Both carried wood up on the hill for their sacrifice. Both were sacrificed on the same hill, the land of Moriah. There's some good argument that Moriah is the place of Golgotha, where's the land of the skull. If you ever get chances to go to Israel, it's washed away, but you can literally see the eyes and kind of the nose of the skull where God, where Jesus was, God was crucified. It's right there in a high point in Jerusalem. It's really, really crazy. You can kind of see it. Some people believe this is the same spot. Both were delivered from death on the third day. So we see these comparisons. I want to show, I guess in the midst of this bigger, I want to peel this back. I want to, I want to open the onion up and look at this even more. So back to the verse. Why note his only son? Abraham had war with one son. Do you remember the account? Sarah was told that she would have a son and she laughed. Well, you would laugh too. She's 90. Think about that. 90 years old having a baby. 90. That's, how many, are, how many of you are 90 in here, ladies? Don't raise your hand, but probably <laughs> 90's not young. He's 100. 13 years goes by, and she decided to help God. She was not getting pregnant. Imagine they were practicing and trying to help God and do that stuff, but it didn't happen. So she said, take my handmaiden, servant woman, and lie with her, and, the, and this will fulfill what God wanted. Abraham should have stopped there. Just like Adam in the garden, when he took the piece of fruit from Eve, he should have said no. But the blessing of listening to your woman and wife even supersedes the word of God here. It's true. In both of these accounts, life stories, the influence of the woman is very strong. What I love about the Bible, God allows for this to be made right, though, and tell these people of their failure. And quite frankly, I find massive hope. Everyone is messed up. Is anybody not messed up in this room right now? Raise your hand. Everyone is. There is no perfect people in, in, in Christendom. And I find that very peaceful, very hoping. I want to hope in that because as I've been dealing with things the last couple months, I've seen a lot of flaws in my own life, and it's been really, really, really hard to see, but truth, and I need them. So back to the account. He lies with Hagar. He conceives the son, and then she hates the woman. She hates the woman for having the baby and tells her husband to get rid of her. And this is really sad. Hagar submitted to the desire of Sarah. And she did what, what, uh, what her boss told her to do. But God didn't acknowledge that baby. God didn't acknowledge that. God is not interested in blessing the things or situations that are birthed in the flesh. 
You will make things right when you make them right, but God is a good father. He knows what's best for you, even when you don't. He allowed this to happen, but the blessing of the real first son was not what God viewed. He only saw what he said. He told Abraham what was going to happen. He spoke to him directly. He shared with him directly. He didn't share with Sarah. He shared with him. But he went outside of the guidelines and the, and, and, and the focus of what God told him. So he laid down with the, with the handmaiden, had a baby. But Sarah does conceive later, later. And ladies, my sisters, as we go down this path and understand this some more, as we understand the sacrifice, you have a massive amount of influence. You young ladies, be encouraged by this because you're, you're, uh, your relationship is, is of the highest nature to your husband. You have a lot of influence. Pray for that. Really do. Because your husband will listen to you. But be mindful of how you lead. Because when we, when we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord, there is only one leader. His name's Jesus. Submission isn't, isn't something you have to do. Submission is something you get to do between two people. And that's followed in leading of God. That's the only way it works. If you want something done, pray, pray, pray. But let's let, unpack this relational more. Some people believe that Mariah, again, is where God was sacrificed, Jesus was sacrificed. But let's talk about their relationship now. Let's talk about the two people that are going up there to do this sacrifice. Some commentators believe that Isaac is 25 to 30 years old. Think about that. 25 to 30 years old. And Abraham is 125 to 130 years old. So let's talk about what God asked of their relationship. He tells him to go offer him up as a burnt offering. Before you know anything, a burnt offering before you, I don't know if you know this or not, but a burnt offering must be killed, must be bled out. There is no death. There is no, it has to be, it has to be killed. God will, God's not interested whenever he takes an offering of something not being alive. He has it. It has to be dead. Did you know that the smoke that arises from heaven from burnt offerings, you know what it's called? It's called a Holocaust. I find that interesting. Google it. But think with me about this relationship. The relationship and the love they had and trust they had for each other is crazy. A 25-year-old boy, I don't know, I would run from being a sacrifice. I, I would run from this situation if I'm processing this correctly, if I'm thinking about what's going on. As, is, as my dad said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. But the boy gets on top of the altar, lays on top of the wood. He lays on top of the wood. I mean, this is, this is a picture of willful submission, obedience, harmony of two people that is crazy. Their relationship was so worshipful, so God-centered and trusting that they were willing to do this. So in all your relationships, are they all God-centered? God one thing I've been thinking about, are they all God-centered? Are you willing to sacrifice them to God, to totally give them over to God? And maybe for you, it's a bad one. Maybe you need to kill the relationship or stop trying to control the relationships, give it to God completely and be done with it. I see total trust here. This is agape that I would allow you being Abraham to kill me being Isaac. That's what's going on in Isaac's head. I'm going to let you kill me. I will allow you to end my life. There's no sin between them, nothing to stop them from Worshiping God together in this mountain, Abraham must have believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He was willing to kill his son. He was willing to kill this relationship, but God. Remember, he gets right there to the point. He's getting ready just to stab him and just take his life and said, God says, stop. 
Okay, so we go down the path of this being love God chose. This is to me the greatest example and will be the greatest finding of the word choice we have in the Bible. Love is a choice. Some say obedience, and you know what? You can't have obedience without choice, and that's true. But you can't have obedience without choice. Choice of love and the choose to love is the greatest thing we can do as Christians. And wow, look how much Abraham loved Sarah. He listened to her. There were situations that happened, but God made it right. He chose to do what she, what she, what she said. Look how much Isaac chose to love his daddy and lie in the wood and be ready to be killed. He loved his dad. He chose. See how much Abraham chose to love God was willing to end his son's life. Wow. I think about this and I'm just torn because I don't, I don't have that type of choice love in my own life. And it's convicting, but it also gives us hope in the, mess, in the midst of this messy situation that God wants to work. Amen? And I think if we look at the, the biblical truth of this and the choice that's being made... Choice one, and the application point, if you're taking notes, is one choice of love. God will work out all other stuff if you choose to love. Amen? God will work it all out. Genesis 27.4. This is a funny one now. 27.4. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Second time the word love is used in the, in the Bible. Same word in different contexts. It's love is used for food. So the next time we see a Bible used, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is where we get soul food, right? Boom, boom, soul food. That was funny, I thought. Not a good delivery. Such as I love, bring to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you. So he's going to eat soul food. That's where soul food's invented. It's not invented in the South. It's invented right here in the Bible. I saw that when I read that. I thought that was funny. So soul food anyways is, is, is done there. But let's talk about this, how this, this context applies. So we have the two brothers, right? Going down the path. The one brother's going to go to a path and he says, make me savor food. This is the blessing that's going to happen from the first to the second. But Isaac stole the, the, the birthright from his brother Esau. Do you remember how he stole it? He made him food too. He got him over the, he said, I'm dying. Please feed me. And you weren't dying, dude. You weren't dying. You weren't dying. You were hungry, but you weren't dying. And he hornswoggled him out of his birthright. He told his mama. And now this comes to pass. Daddy's dying. So now you got to claim stake at the situation. But I want to tell you what this birthright means. And I think we should understand it and really understand what the relationship regarding Esau and Jacob was. So the, the, the oldest kid, the firstborn male, he gets the first and choices of things. He gets a double portion of the inheritance. So that would mean like there's two sons. He gets the leadership role. The firstborn became the chief executor officer of the family business. In the event of a disagreement, how, how it should be run or done, he had the deciding vote. He and his brothers had to defer to him. Last, and most significantly, a spiritual blessing. He acted as the priest of the home. In Abraham's family, this would also mean receiving the promise from God and propagating his chosen people and ultimately the Messiah. In other words, having the birthright was really a big deal. And because he was born, a, born first, he, he was not born. Esau was born first. But Jacob took it from him. And Jacob already hornswoggled him out of it. And Jacob already worked it. But God saw the whole thing. And I think about this. This is a holy bucket story, guys. This is, this is one of those accounts where you're like, the backdrop of this word, again, is choice. Jacob and, eight, and, and, and Isaac are in di dialogue. The first son is going to lose a birthright over a lie. You know the story. 
Isaac had a wife named Rebecca. And we know from the Bible that Isaac loved his son named Esau. It says that. And Rebecca loved her son Jacob. So if you have kids, this is a bit, another biblical point. Your kids should not know which one the favorite is. Amen? There should be no favorite kids, right? You have favorite kids? Don't answer. Don't answer. Don't answer. But you should not have favorite kids. You should not. But some of your kids, well, they don't act as good as the other ones, right? We can be honest, and that's what happened here. Some of them get along better with dad and mom. It's just the way it is. It's the wiring of us all. But you should not have favorite kids. It's the truth. Your kids should know that you're equally loved. So Rebecca enters the picture and tells her son Isaac that your dad is dying. The woman again. There's a French saying, and I don't know it, but there's a, there's a, an, an old Frenchism, I guess, and I was told this by somebody. I don't remember exactly how it went down, but there's always a woman behind it. I don't know if that's true or not. But this is a truth that I think is interesting. Rebecca tells her son that your dad is dying, and I want you to get the blessing. Let's plan a bit, massive big lie. You know the story. She tells her son to go and lie, in the, lie down next to her husband and put hair on his arms, puts hair on his arms, so that when he grabs him, he'd feel hairy, because Esau means, that's right, Esau means hairy. His name literally means hairy. Not hairy like hairy, but hairy like hair. You have hair. She even tells her son to use the deep voice, use the Esau voice, not your little... Your little Sonoma, you know, I heard one of the commentators said that um, Esau is Bass Pro and, um, and uh, Jacob is, uh, is the great wine tasting countries of Sonoma Valley. They're all just different. One's Starbucks and one's Bass Pro, if you will. Just completely different human beings. Mama liked, it. Mama liked her, her son. But the, the lie comes to fruition. The whole thing is twisted up, dysfunctionality, and, and thank goodness for the Bible. So in the story, the lie comes up. I, Isaac gets the blessing. Jacob pulled off the magic trick and got his blessing. But it was birthed in a lie. But God will show his hand strong in Jacob's life. And he will not let what happened go without accountability. So again, ladies, again, men, the influences that we have on our children, the influences we have in propagating things, be mindful of it. It's a real truth. Amen? Second point of, action, point of application, you ready? Love is more than food. Love is more than food. The next time we go, Genesis 29, 20. This, one's, this one is just crazy. Genesis 29, 20, you guys ready? You're not ready? This is weird holding a mic. Here we go. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Ah. Jacob served seven years for Rachel that seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Third time the Bible uses the word love. Same word used again. In other words, he likes what he sees. Rachel's smoking hot. She's beautiful. He likes her. It's like, wow, that chick is awesome. The choice of love, though. This guy is drinking the Rachel Aid for sure. Thinking nothing but this chick is it and a bag of chips. I want her. He sees the woman and waits for her and willingly chooses to wait for her seven years. However, little does he know that he's not going to, this is how it's going to go down. He's going to have to wait 14 years. 14 years for this woman. Goodness. 
because he will be lied to by her daddy and twisted and be given getting hornswoggled and he will get the first daughter because that in their culture at that time you had to marry the first one which is Leah but men think about I'm talking to men now men think about this and how, how and how this has grown in twisted arrangement we see cultures obviously cultures are much different than than life are today but this man's choice to love this woman led him to work for this woman. I mean, literally and figuratively. He literally worked and loved this woman and worked for her love and worked to get her. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is not how we do it nowadays. But the application, I think, for you men is this in this room who are married, those of you who are married. Mar- do you work for your wife? Do you take the trash out? Do you study her? Do you give her gifts? Does she know that you love her? If you were to ask, and that's why that sign's in the men's bathroom, when's the last time you told your wife you loved her? Do you wait for her? Are you okay with her being late? Do you see her and let her know how beautiful she is? Some of you in this room have been married a couple years, right? Some of you seniors in this room have been married more than five years, right? Some of you have been married over 50 years, right? Amen. Then it falls on your plate and your planet and your plate to, to know and love your wife and lead her. She should know that she is worth more than you. Amen? This guy, Jacob, waited seven years for this woman. He believed that God told him that he was for her. Then he waited another seven years. I believe this is, though, for his faith to be tested and shown to be true for this woman. But the choice we have to see here is very easy. The Bible says at the end of the verse that it seemed like a short time. Seven years is a short time. Wow. I can't remember seven years ago. Do you guys remember seven years ago? I mean, I remember some things, but I don't remember a lot of things. But I do remember this. God is faithful. Men, we need that kind of heart. Waiting on the Lord for your woman is super important, men. God will honor your patience with her and will also show you, if you don't have a woman, single guys, single girls in here, to wait for that woman or man. Young single men and women wait. Third point, as we learn, life is short. Choose to love and love big. You're only here a short while. Amen? Genesis 29, 32. So this, this one's super sad. This is the fourth time the Bible uses the word love. The fourth time, okay? Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Man. This verse is sad, and this verse has been an applicational verse in my life. Some, let me think about this. 18, 19 years ago. I'm broken over this woman's heart. She's been rejected by her husband. She realized that she's not the one he wanted. She realized that when he comes to the real sad part, the way she thinks maybe she'll love him now because I got a kid, because we have a kid. Maybe I give him something. Maybe I'll give him a part of me that we created. Now he's going to love me. This is not the choice of agape love. This son, Reuben, and please know this, all children are gifts from God, amen? All children, they are all but she wants love from her husband, thinks a son or a child will bring love to her and bring him love. It's a sad situation. We think that love can be birthed from a child. You know, I'm thankful personally that my children got to see two people who loved each other before Susan died. 
But sometimes that's just not how it is in the church and in life, guys. Sin enters the marriage, and before you know it, there's a mess, and their kids, however, need love. And they need to be shown that Jesus loves them, and mom and dad love them. Amen? They need to be shown that. And it's hard to do sometimes. Kids need their mom and dads in their lives without a doubt. And the Christian marriage is the example of the highest calling in our country. Having a family that reads together, prays together, and goes to church together and serves in the community is what we're to do. And I believe what God has called us to do. That's what, that's what the Christian family is to, is to do, is to live in the community, be an example to the community, show that Jesus is real, and bring people to saving faith. That's what the church exists. And that's why marriage, I believe, is so under attack, because it's the example of the church. And the devil goes right after it. He doesn't hold any bar, dumb punches. He wants, he wants the world in the church. He wants how we handle problems in the church and the world the same. It's not. Nothing is the same. He wants everything in the world brought in the church. And guys, we have to take a stand. We have to love. We have to be patient. We have to be kind. We have to be different than the world. And it's really hard because we don't want to. It's not in our nature. We want to handle things the way we handle things, how we've been trained or how we do things, how we perceive things, how we've been hurt. That's not what God wants. It's a tough thing. I remember thinking this. I remember thinking this a while, 18 years ago, going, man, this, this the kid's mom, she's going she's gonna to want to stay. And we had kids. She didn't. Thank God she didn't. God brought me another gift. Love is a choice, and choices even here with Leah are heartbreaking. Leah can't make Isaac choose her, even though she had kids together. It's just so sad. And, and I remember this, going over this, man, I was doing this in the last three or four weeks, birthing this thing, God birthing this in me, measuring out my life and thinking about things. And I just remember the pain of all this and, and the pain that this woman must be going through, thinking that she can raise love from a child. Love is a choice, and we can't make circumstances, point four, and people love us over circumstances. Amen? The last one, I find it very interesting, and then we're going to cover 1 Corinthians 13 as part of a homework assignment that you can do as part of your own wellness and checkup for how you're doing in love. The last one of the five verses, I find it interesting because it comes from God to us now. It comes from the law of the Ten Commandments, and it's found in Exodus 20, verse 4, 5, and 6. So it says this, you shall not, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. For you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Elkanah, I think is what that is. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, those who hate me. Look at verse six but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. So that we know that the first uh, four laws in the, in, the, in the Old Testament cover our relationship with God, the Ten Commandments, and the other six uh, cover our relationships in community, in life, in doing church, and doing as we walk out in, into the world. Here, he clearly notes here that God is a jealous God. God, he doesn't want anything, a person, a place, or a thing to come in, the rela- in, in any of the way of the relationship he has with you. So I've been thinking to myself, do you have all your relationships lined up this way? Do you have any relationships in your life that draw you away from God? 
I've had to ask myself that a couple times, thinking about life and where I'm going. So do you think God wants us to have friends and relationships with people who draw us closer to him? Yeah, right? We, I think that God wants us to have relationships with people that draw us closer to him, right? Not away from him, correct? This is a hard truth, though. I have to revisit this lately. I'm not saying to disassociate. Never, and I, please hear me. Don't disas- ever disassociate yourself from your friends, your lifelong friends. They need to know who Jesus is. You're that example to them. You need to love them, encourage them, share the truth with them, be that light. That's part of the situation that everybody knows what we're against and nobody knows what we're for, and I've been learning that lately, too, the legalism in my own heart. Guys, we're called to love no matter what, even when it's not fun. Even when you've been pointing out your own flaws. Even when you see that this is an unlovable person. But as we go down these paths as Christians, we have the power because Jesus gave us the power. And he clearly notes this, guys. But if Jesus is not talking about or being a part of the conversation somehow, somewhere, even in your normal stuff, then are you being led away or led closer to Something I've had to measure out in my life again, thinking about things, thinking about friends that I've had, people in my past that in the last two weeks now have come up, that I got to love them about Jesus, talk to them about that, and boy, they ran. They ran from the door. It was like, wow, you don't want to hear about Jesus. No, I don't want to hear about him. It was sad, but I told them I love them, I'm here for him. So the question is, Showing mercies to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I'm so happy that God right here in this, in this passage notes that the love he has for us and it's for thousands. Not just a couple, but for thousands. Thousands being multiple, being as many as can want to receive it. Aren't you happy for God's mercy? Amen. God's mercy and kindness and grace is so awesome. Are you not glad you don't get what you deserve from the Lord? I've been shown so much mercy in my life. A little transparency now. Uh, about six weeks ago, I was, uh, for those of you who don't know or don't know, it's not a big deal, but I want to share this with you. I was working out a lot, and I took these, uh, been taking some supplements, and I took some other supplements that made my heart race like nobody's business. Landed me in the ER. So, going, I was, took them for about, uh, two months. One of these supplements was a, a good one. The other one, when it was stacked upon it, as I found out from my doctor last Friday, um, was really, really bad. But detoxing from this over the last month and a half off of these things has been awful. Cold sweats, um, not thinking clearly, disheveledness. And even my doctor came back and told me two weeks ago that my estrogen level was that of a pregnant woman. It's not funny. It's not funny. And I'm working out wondering, why, what's, what, why am I messed up? These, I was taking the synthetic testosterone that was making me, it was helping me work out, but it also was, when I went off it, my body was trying to produce the same amount, but not being on the pill. So it was a train wreck. Why do I say this? God's mercy. Didn't die. I'm back to normal. The I went and got all my tests are done. Everything is perfect. Um, I'm, my blood levels are great. Everything very healthy. Thank the Lord. Um, but had to go through that season of being messed up in my head, really bad. And it was good, to, good thing to walk through, but also very, very hard to process and understand. 
But the point of Aztec application as you go down this path is this. Love gives and does not take. This is what Jesus taught us. Love is not forceful. Love is patient and selfless. It causes you to seek the highest good for the object of your affection, not for yourself. Love is a choice. So the five points to cover. Love is a choice. Love is more than food. When you choose to love, love big. We're only here for a short time. We can't manipulate circumstances in the flesh to make love happen. Amen? God loves us so much, and his mercy is great. Amen? So this was given to me when I was taking some classes through um, Extension Casmus through a Bible college about mm, 15 years ago, maybe, maybe 10 or 12, 15. I can't remember. I'm sorry. I'm getting old. But John... <laughs> I'm not getting old, but I am old. But I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you guys would go there, obviously you know that chapter, and you know you know that situation, you know that piece of literature. It's called the love chapter for a reason, and we read it when we, do, when we normally do ceremonies, wedding ceremonies, that is. But I think about this, and I read this every now and then whenever I'm dealing with relationships, kids, family, people, situations that aren't working out, situations that aren't going any places. And I think about this, and I think about this. As you go down, you can, you can read the first four verses, obviously. My glasses on because I can't read. You can read the first four verses, first three verses, fine. You can see that. But love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but when there are problems, so this go there. So then as you go down the path, as you do this, you enter in Jesus's name there. Did Jesus suffer long? Yeah. Is Jesus kind? Yeah. Jesus doesn't envy. Jesus didn't parade himself. He's not puffed up. Jesus did not behave rudely. Jesus did not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity. Jesus does not but rejoices in truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. So now the tough one. You enter your name in there now. So you read the passage, and you entered in the king who fulfilled all this, and now you enter in your name. Donnie suffers long and is kind. Donnie loves and does not envy. Donnie loves and does not parade itself. Donnie is not puffed up, failure. Donnie does not behave rudely, failure. Donnie does not seek his own, failure. Donnie's not provoked. Nobody gets mad in this room. Am I the only one? Donnie thinks no evil. Put your name in there. Because if you're a Christian, you're not to think evil of other people in this room. You're really not. Even in the midst of it not making sense, you're not supposed to think evil of somebody. It's a a crazy, crazy Christianity this thing is. It's not normal how we're supposed to think. Donnie does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. 
Donnie bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Man, it's convicting stuff, huh? As we think about all this stuff and we go down this path of love and understanding what it is, Jesus said in the the next verses, in verse 8, love never fails. Love never fails. That's what he says, love never fails. Not, Not Jesus, not himself, but love. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes... Then, we will, then we'll be done away with. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know him just as I also am known. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see him. And now abide in these faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. So that's the Bible study tonight. Pray you were blessed. God bless you guys. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for Calvary Chapel Surprise and the grace you've given us here. Thank you for your love that you've extended to us here, Lord. Thank you for your favor you've given us. Thank you for all the things you've shown us from tonight and the first five times you've entered your word in. And then through your son have given us the understanding of perfect love. Love gives and doesn't take. Love is not forceful. Love is patient and selfless. It causes you to seek the highest good for the object of your affection, not for yourself thinking about that as we measure out our lives the rest of this week and do things that we're going to do and love people we're going to love, even the unlovable. Somebody might need Jesus this week. Somebody might need his love. Are you willing to show him? That's a prayer I've been asking, Lord. Make me willing to be willing. I pray that for my brothers and sisters here today as we go forward the rest of this week. Pray we'd have a blessed week and serve you. And all the church of God said, amen. God bless you guys.